tonight and uh, turn with me to the book of Philippians. And as uh, Brother Kenny uh, picks some songs tonight about the joy of the Lord, we're continuing with our series on finding joy in the journey. And uh, years ago when I met my wife, I just, I, I don't think I had ever met somebody named Joy before. And then when I got around her dad, he, he doesn't call her Joy, he calls her Joy Joy. And uh, so I, I like that too. And so I just, I just want to have the joy of the Lord. And if I don't have it, I'm married to Joy. So one way or the other, I've got it. But tonight, if, you, or if you're able to, let's stand for the Word of God. And uh, we're in Philippians chapter number two. We're just going verse by verse. If you're familiar with the word expository, we're just going uh, line upon line, precept upon precept, and that's a, that's a good way to study the Word of God. And uh, I love this book, the book of Philippians. It's been a, been a blessing to me as a Christian to go through this, and it's certainly a privilege to preach through it. And I hope God's using it in your life, too. I know that many of us need encouragement to find joy or keep our joy in the journey. And uh, just like what Brother Chris was just talking about, I appreciate him taking the lead on that. He and Brother Kenny have put in quite a bit of time. And uh, the Bible does say evil men and seducers shall wax worse and worse. But the Bible also tells us to earnestly contend for the faith. And it's, it's our job. Uh, God's, this is our watch. And the Lord wants us to make sure that uh, things are safe. And Brother Chris was trying to get it all in. He didn't mention, but uh, just some of you that have children, we either always have somebody back there with the children uh, in the children's programs. And if there's not somebody back there, if there were something to happen, immediately one of the guys would go straight back to that area. And we want to make sure our children are safe too. So the whole thing is not for you to fret. It's to realize the Lord's on the throne, and uh, we're just doing everything we can to make it a safe place where we can come and hear from God. And I, as Chris said it two or three times, I just pray it would never happen. But it, it is happening more frequently in our nation, and so just continue to pray that God's will will be done. Uh, Philippians chapter number 2, and I love these verses uh, as we get into this chapter beginning in verse number 5 down through verse number 8 tonight. The Bible says, Let this mind be in you, which was also in Christ Jesus, who, being in the form of God, thought it not robbery to be equal with God, but made himself of no reputation, and took upon him the form of a servant, and was made in the likeness of men, and being found in fashion as a man, he humbled himself and became obedient unto death, even the death of the cross. Let's read together verse number uh, five, all right? Verse number five, all right? Here we go, let's begin. Let this mind be in you, which was also... And let's pray. Lord, thank you for this evening. Bless the word of God and help us, Lord, to have the right mind. In Jesus' name we pray, amen. You may be seated. You know, we joke around a lot about having people being in their right mind, uh, losing their mind. You know, sometimes you get around your children and your children are misbehaving. You're saying to your kids, listen, you kids better behave because I'm about to lose my mind, you know. But as a Christian, the Bible says, let this mind 
being you, which was also in Christ Jesus. You ever sat and thought, and I know a lot of times I'm probably a little bit different, but when I sit and read the Bible, and I, I don't like to borrow things, and I don't think it's a bad thing, but years ago they came out with the WWJD. Anybody remember what it stands for? What would Jesus do? Or you could say, what would Jesus think? Now, a lot of times we can answer that because we have the Word of God. We can go to the Bible and we can see what Jesus thought. We can see what he said. We can see how he dealt with people, people that no one else wanted nothing to do with. And can I tell you tonight what's going to make the Lord pleased with you and I is that just like Jesus thought, what was on his mind ought to be on our mind. We, a lot of times, I mentioned and had such a sweet time with our starting point class, a lot of times we're so consumed with trying to be somebody, trying to get to a place of prominence. And as we had our deacon election today, and I'm pleased to say that all five of those men will be serving as deacons this year at our church, and I think that's going to be a huge blessing to our church. But I said most people think that because the Bible describes it as one of the two offices of the church, that many people think that it's, it's one of these, that they're up here now and we're down here. But God's way up is down. The very word deacon means servant. And I was telling the folks this last hour that what one of the portions of Scripture that has meant so much to me over the years is when Jesus pushed away from the table and he grabbed a bowl of water and a towel and he began to wash the feet of his disciples. I was telling him, I said, you know, there are churches and even churches like ours that, that actually do foot washing. And I said, I'm not about to institute that here at our church. And some of them said, good, pastor, good. You know, my wife's told me many times how ugly my feet are, you know. But when you study the scriptures, foot washing is not an ordinance. It doesn't, it doesn't, it's not a, a picture of the death, burial, and resurrection of Christ the way the Lord's table and, and baptism, scriptural baptism is. But what it is, is it's a great illustration of what was on the mind of Christ. And what was on his mind is that he came not to be ministered to, but to minister. He was giving us an example of servant leadership. Now, those two words don't go together in, in society today. To lead, but yet serve. But that's what was on the mind of the Lord Jesus Christ. And as Paul's writing to these folks in Philippi, he's trying to help them understand that we, not just the church of Philippi, need to be developing the mind of Christ. It's not only a matter of our thought process, it's more a matter of our attitudes. Sometimes people are like, well, I would never do that. 
I don't know why, but not that I ever did it before, but after I got saved, there were times I scrubbed the toilets in our church. It's not beneath me. You say, but you're the pastor. It doesn't matter. Uh, listen, folks, we need to have the right attitude, and we're admonished to let the mind of Christ flow through us. Let his attitude, one of humility and lowliness, to actually surge through us, that we would be humble, we would be lowly. In chapter 2, earlier in verse 4, right, the verse before we started tonight, look at the verse, look not every man on his own things, but every man on the things of who? Others. See, God says, don't worry about, I'll take care of you. You just need to be concerned about others. And Paul uses here under the inspiration of the Holy Spirit in verses 5 and, and, and the verses following, he uses Jesus as the supreme example of preferring others before himself. I like that about Jesus. He preferred others. Many times did without sleep, didn't have a place to lay his head, put others' needs before his very own. Folks, that's the way we need to live our lives, in honor, preferring one another, the Bible says. And Jesus did that, and that was what was on his mind. See, to comprehend the depth of Christ's love and the compassion that he had, we must first understand that Jesus is the Son of God. Notice, first of all, tonight, the position of Christ. The Bible says in verse 6, who being in the form of God, thought it not robbery to be equal with God, but made himself of no reputation, took upon him the form of a servant, and was made in the likeness of men. What is this talking about? It's talking about that Jesus was pre-existent. Jesus did not begin in Bethlehem's manger. He already existed before what we call his incarnation, when he robed himself with flesh. The words there that's used, and I like to do word studies in the Bible, where it says, who being. Do you see those two words there? Those two words are a present participle. Uh, there's an ongoing condition there that describes the precondition before Jesus became flesh. John recorded it this way in John chapter 1 and verse number 1, in the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. Now you say, Pastor, why are you stressing the word was? It's just a small little verb. That word refers to a continual, eternal existence before Jesus began his life on this earth. You see, it's hard for us to understand because all of us have a birthday. In case you forgot, pastors is September 5th. <laughs> Write that down, all right? If you look, if you go to the cemetery, you see a birthday and you see a death day. And you see a dash in between. That little dash represents an entire life. For some, it's short. Others, it's very long. But can I tell you, look here. Jesus didn't begin. He's always been. 
That's what the scriptures teach. You say, I don't understand that. I don't know if I can honestly, humanly explain it other than the scriptures teach that he, God has always been. He was pre-existent before he became a man, before the moment that God began to create this world. This means that the only person that existed before the beginning of creation was God alone. So in the beginning, God. That explains it all right there. God created this world out of nothing. John 1.14, the Word, if you look in your Bible or there in your notes, it's a capital W. John used the same word in verse 1. It's descriptive. If you go over to 1 John chapter 5, there are three that bear record in heaven, the Father, the Word, and the Spirit. All of them talking about the Lord Jesus Christ. The word for word is the word lagos. Jesus is the word. You see, he was the word of God written and he was God in the flesh. Are you with me tonight? Now listen, some people say, man, this is kind of deep. This is Bible, but we need to understand how very important it is because you look at all other religions in the world today They were founded upon someone who was born and had a human father. But the Bible says that Mary conceived of the Holy Ghost. And it's important for us to see the pre-existence that the Word was made flesh and dwelt among us. And we beheld His glory, the glory is of the only begotten of the Father, full of grace and truth. When I think about Jesus in His position... He was pre-existent, but notice, this is what I love about him, he was personal. You see, you know what he is to me? He is my Savior. He is my Lord. I love to read through the Psalms, and I see those personal pronouns in there. Hey, folks, that means a lot to me because he might have been David's Lord, but he's my Lord, too. He might have been Daniel's Lord, but he's my Lord, too. And we need to understand how personal he became. The phrase there, look at it again. He took upon himself the form, the form. This indicates that Jesus was God in the flesh. It's an amazing thing when you think about this, how that he was made, verse number seven, in the likeness of men. The Bible says, and I think this sums it up, look there in your notes, 1 Timothy 3, verse 16, another one of those three 16s in the Bible, this is a good one too, it says, without controversy, great is the mystery of godliness. Look at these words, God was manifest, you know, you know what the word manifest means? Became visible. You know, the, the Bible in the Old Testament talked about that there was going to be a Savior, a Messiah that would come. And the Bible says here in 1 Timothy 3 that God was manifest in the flesh, justified in the spirit, seen of angels, preached unto the Gentiles, believed on in the world, received up into glory. That sums up the life of Christ. You think about how that he came as a personal God. Jesus himself stated while he was on this earth that he was and he is God. Did he not say in John 10, I and my Father are one? Boy, that threw him. 
How is that possible? You study the scriptures, you find in their attributes that Jesus was co-equal, co-existent with God the Father. Now, here's, here's our mindset, Father, Son. But that's not the position of God the Father, God the Son. Jesus said, I and my Father are one. And when it, the Bible uses in verse number 6 this word for, he took upon himself the form. That word there is the word morph. And here's what it means. The form by which a person or thing strikes a vision. It actually includes more than just the outward visage, but it references the very essence of what was seen. You see, the Bible says things like this, never a man spake like this man. There were so many things about Jesus that even the rabbis, even the lawyers of the day, the doctors of the law, how old was Jesus when he was in the temple? Does anybody remember when they were asking questions? He was 12 years old. And he blew their minds. How can a 12-year-old... Now, look here. Wouldn't it be awesome if you had the answer book? But wouldn't it be more awesome if you wrote the answer book or you are the answer book? Because that's what Jesus is. He is the Word of God. Are you with me tonight? Folks, this is one of the most tremendous passages in all of the Bible. Let this mind be in you. Jesus took upon himself the form. The word meant that Jesus was the image of God. In other words, when you saw Jesus, you saw God. Look, look what the Bible says, John 14. Philip said unto him, Lord, show us the Father, and it sufficeth us. Jesus saith unto him, Have I been so long with you, and yet hast thou not known me, Philip? He that hath seen me hath seen who? The Father. And how sayest thou then, show us the Father? He's like, Philip, come on. Have I not shown you? Have I not told you? Somebody said, Jesus never wrote a book, so far as we know, and yet more books have been written about him than any other person who has ever lived. He never painted a picture or did any sculpting or wrote a poem as far as we know. And yet Jesus of Nazareth has been the inspiration for artists and poems and books and paintings and music that fill the world. Jesus Christ never raised an army and yet millions have died for him and for his cause. His travels were limited. He traveled just a few miles from his birthplace and all of his ministry and yet today... His ministry reaches around the world. It is worldwide. He never spoke to more than a few thousand people at one time. But for 24 hours, every day that the clock uh, goes around, any moment of that 24 hours, at any moment, there are millions of people studying what he said. And at any moment, millions of people. You can look at your watch, and at any time, there would be millions of people studying his word. And to this day, the, the best-selling book that has ever been written in this world is the Bible. People still are studying the word of God. I love to hear about atheists and those who are deniers of Christ 
that they start to study the scriptures to prove it wrong and in the process come to know Christ as their Savior. The power of the Word of God. And you think about Jesus, what does the Bible say about him? Look at Colossians 2. In him dwelleth all the fullness of the Godhead bodily. As Jesus was on this earth, the Bible says in Hebrews 1, it being in the brightness of his glory and the express image of his person and upholding all things by the word of his power, when he by himself purged our sins, sat down at the right hand of the majesty on high. Folks, listen, the mind of Christ, and I think about his position, how he was preexistent and how he is personal and the attitude that Jesus had says to me that I cannot keep my privileges uh, for myself. I must use those privileges for others. I've thought many times what it would have been like. Jesus only had half-brothers. Four of them, the Bible lists by name. I can't imagine what it would have been like to grow up with Jesus as a brother. You talk about the kid with the silver spoon that never did anything wrong. But I don't think in any stretch of the imagination that he ever used that to his advantage. I believe he was a very humble boy. I believe he obeyed his parents. You can read in the scriptures how he was subject unto his parents. He was a great example as a child. And certainly a great example as our Lord and Savior. I think about his preexistence and I think of his personal touch in our lives. That helps me understand the position of Christ. But then notice as Paul continues here, he talks about that you and I need to have a pursuit of Christ. The pursuit of Christ. Why? Because when we study his life, here's what I find. And what a great example for us is a pursuit of submission. Look at verse 7 again. The Bible says he made himself. Do you get those words? He was God. He created this world. And he made himself of no reputation. Jesus shows us the only perfect example of humility that the world has ever seen. He chose to humble himself and to meet the needs of those that were spiritually sick and the dying human race, no one else cared about them but Jesus did. Remember when Jesus went and spent time with the lepers? And they thought, how foolish. You don't get anywhere near a leper. How about when the, the, the funeral procession was coming through the city of Nain, and there was a widow, and her son had died, and Jesus went up and touched the buyer, the coffin, and her son sat up. I mean, everything Jesus did, in their minds, they're thinking, that's ceremonially unclean. But there were no limitations to what Jesus could do or would do. He cared about everyone. He submitted himself so that others might come to know him. He made himself of no reputation. You ever thought about those words, no reputation? Here's what the Bible says. It speaks of his voluntary emptying of himself. Now think about this. He didn't empty himself of his deity. The word deity means that he was God. He became man. Now watch. Stay with me. 
He became man without ceasing to be God. You say, how is that possible? Jesus gave up the prerogatives of his deity. He could have called 10,000 angels. He could have showed that old stinking devil in the wilderness who God is. But if you remember that passage, what did Jesus do? He quoted scripture. What tool do you and I have at our disposal? The word of God. Boy, I'll tell you, when the devil starts attacking, just quote scripture to the devil. And the Bible says, the devil left him and angels came and ministered unto him. I love the thought here that Jesus, he made himself of no reputation. He became a man without ceasing to be God. He expressed the attributes of deity only in accordance with his Father's will while he was here on this earth. He never surrendered his deity. He surrendered the expression of it. You think about this voluntary attitude of Jesus. Listen, does it not carry over into his life all the way to Calvary? Remember what the Bible says as Jesus was brutally beaten and tortured? Jesus carried that cross for you and me. When they got to the place of the skull, the Bible doesn't say that they wrestled Jesus to the ground and held him down. The Bible says he laid his life down. No one took it from him like a lamb led to the slaughter. He took that for us. I, I can't wrap my mind around that, folks, no matter how many times I read that in Scripture. You say, Pastor, why are you talking about this? Because Paul's writing, let this mind be in you. But see, it's all about us, isn't it? It's my life. I'll do what I want to do. Everything Jesus did was for his father and for others. Jesus never considered himself. The Bible mentions that he veiled himself. He veiled the glory of God in human form. Remember, remember the, the story in the word of God about the Mount of Transfiguration? You remember that? Peter, James, and John, boy, those three guys were privileged to see things that the other ones didn't. They went up on that mountain with Jesus, and something began to happen. All of a sudden, they saw three people. Does anybody remember who the three were? Moses, Elijah, and Jesus. And they said immediately, oh, this is great. We need to build three altars. And all of a sudden, Moses was gone. Elijah was gone. Say, why Moses? Why Elijah? Because they represent the law and the prophets. And when Moses was gone and Elijah was gone, there was Jesus. What did Jesus say in the Sermon on the Mount? I came not to destroy the law, but to fulfill it. He is the fulfillment of Scripture. When they saw Jesus that day, they realized, just as you and I, if you're saved tonight, we all realize that there is no other way. Jesus is the way. Oh, it's a wonderful thing to know the Word of God, but to know it personally, 
You see, when Jesus miraculously entered into Mary's womb and he, he allowed himself to be overshadowed, he was made in the likeness of men. And the message that we see here in the book of Philippians is this, that with God, the way up is down, that you and I must descend into this matter of greatness. What did John the Baptist say? He must increase, but I must decrease. Let this mind be in you. Jesus shows us that greatness is not measured by self-will, but by self-abandonment. He made himself. He made himself of no reputation. The Bible says in James 4.10, Humble yourselves in the sight of the Lord, and he shall lift you up. See, I find here there was an attitude, this pursuit of submission in the heart of Jesus and in his mind. But notice there was a pursuit of servitude, not only this matter of submission, but in verse number seven, as he made himself of no reputation, he took upon him the form of a servant and was made in the likeness of men. So many people believe, did not believe that Jesus was God. You know why? Because of the way he came. If this was really God, there would have been all this pomp and circumstance, and he would have came on a white horse with an army. And yet, how did he come? Lowly. Even when he entered into the city of Jerusalem. Such a different story than if we would have scripted it. See, mankind is not accustomed to downward mobility. We tend to define success by position, by rank. We don't see this element in the ministry of Jesus. I mentioned earlier, look there in your notes, John 13, Jesus knowing that the Father had given all things into his hands and that he was come from God and went to God, he riseth from supper and laid aside his garments, took a towel, girded himself. After that, he poureth water into a basin and began to wash the disciples' feet and to wipe them with the towel wherewith he was girded. All our lives, it's all about us. I would just never do that. I wouldn't have that kind of attitude. Jesus had an attitude of serving. There's been great men over the years that have helped, and there's been people that have helped me to understand this principle in my life. And I was reading about back in 1878 when William Booth's Salvation Army was beginning to make its mark. Nowadays, we still see evidence at Christmas time with the red kettle outside of many stores. But uh, Salvation Army's been around for many, many years, and it, it was making its mark, and so much so that men and women from all over the world began to enlist in Booth's army. One man who had once dreamed of becoming a pastor, he crossed the Atlantic from America to England to enlist in Booth's army. His name was Samuel Bringle. He left a fine pastorate to join Booth's army but at first, General Booth, as they called him, accepted his servants' services reluctantly and grudgingly. Booth said to Brendel one day, he says, you've been your own boss too long. And so in order to instill humility in Brendel, he set him to work cleaning the boots of other trainees. Discouraged, Brendel said to himself, have I followed my own fancy across the Atlantic in order to black boots? 
And then as in a vision, Brangle saw Jesus bending over the feet of rough, unfettered fishermen. And he whispered, Lord, you wash their feet, I will black their shoes. You see, it's only when we have the mind of Christ, which is a mind of humility, that ministry actually takes place. Somebody said humility is the only threshold for real ministry. Humility. You see, the position of Christ, he was preexistent, he was personal. The pursuit of Christ, why should we have this mind that was in him? Because he submitted himself unto the Father and he had a spirit and an attitude of servitude. But then notice thirdly tonight the passion of Christ. Go back in our passage, chapter 2, verse number 8. The Bible says, being found in fashion as a man, he humbled himself and became obedient unto death, even the death of the cross. I see a selfless passion. A selfless passion. He humbled himself. That's the greatest act of condescension this world has ever known. Ministry that cost us nothing accomplishes nothing. There has to be a cost. Christ's humbling cost him everything. Remember the passage where the Bible says Jesus went a little further? He fell on his face praying and said, Oh, my Father. If it be possible, let this cup pass from me. Nevertheless, not as I will, but as thou wilt. I see a selfless passion, but I also see a sacrificial passion. Because the Bible says again in verse number 8, he became obedient unto death, even the death of the cross. At a religious festival in Brazil, a missionary was going from booth to booth at this festival, and he was examining a lot of the things that people were selling, their wares. He saw a sign over one of the booths, and here's what it read. Cheap crosses. Cheap crosses. That missionary began to think about that, and he said, that's what many Christians are looking for these days. Cheap crosses. He said, my Lord's cross was not cheap. And I wonder tonight, what do you think about the cross of Christ? Why should our cross be any less? Certainly, we don't have to die that death. He died it for us. But Christ's passion, what he did for us was sacrificial in order to reconcile us back to God to this end that Jesus sacrificed everything. It didn't cost us anything but it cost him his own precious blood. What area of your life is difficult for you to humble and practice with the attitude of Christ? It might help us to remember what Jesus went through in Gethsemane's garden. The man sang tonight in the garden alone while the dew was still on the roses. I can't imagine what was going through his heart and what his mind was thinking how he was willing to give himself. And listen, I think of our, our lives too, how you and I need to be willing to have that mind that we would be willing to honor God with our lives. You see, if we lose our desire for things, you know what will happen? God will provide for us. If we lose our desire to be in control, he will give us power to follow him. If we lose our self-ambition, 
He will honor us. If we lose our life for Him, He will give us His own. Jesus said, He that findeth his life shall lose it. And he that loseth his life for my sake shall find it. Let this mind be in you, which was also in Christ Jesus. Let's bow tonight for a word of prayer. I wonder tonight if your prayer would be, Lord, I want to have your mind. I want to think on things the way you think on things. I want to look at people the way you looked at people. I want to have a spirit of submission and servitude. I need to see Christ in the position that he is in. That Jesus is God. Lord, bless the invitation tonight. Lord, may it just be a simple Sunday night time of consecration. Lord, that every one of us would get on our, our face before you and, and just our prayer would be, Lord, I need to have a mind that is pleasing to you, the mind of Christ. It will change this world if we have his spirit, his humility. Bless the invitation in Jesus' name. Amen. Would you stand?